Hey everyone, this is a really nice chat. <laughs> and it's just a chat. But uh, the great thing about chat is little ants of evolution crawl out between the cracks. And the crack was had. Uh, always good to talk to Oleg. And so if you like to eavesdrop on this lovely chat, we talk about things like, ugh, I won't say sales and marketing, but not in the ways you normally think about it. Just a chat. A chat between two friends and forgive the sound quality but the heart is there and it's a really nice one so yeah let us know what you think and uh no worries just don't not think okay i just start recording the audio so here we are here we are oleg and hubert and uh I might as well just say this is a, obviously for our own entertainment purposes it's no animals are harmed in anything we do and it's only a bit of fun you know but at the same there time there are so many animals harmed in everything we do exactly don't underestimate that exactly I was I was waiting for you to seize on that like a wild bear but uh, um, yeah no it's just really good fun to talk to you anyway as you always have a um, great intelligent take on things and i appreciate that very much and what i find really great about the chats we've always had and always do have when we can is um it's kind of like a human there's a humanity somewhere in the room which allows us to kind of just share our own mutual experiences and vantage points and uh, through those filters of the personality and the mind and all those things you know and uh, I really like I really like your takes on things. And uh, even though you don't always mean like to be funny, you it, it, they can be very amusing because you hit the truth very often, or at least what some what you know you might say is your truth. And so I love those articulations because at some point we all do our best to articulate things and form thoughts in, as human beings. So uh, you know I really enjoy our talks. You know. <laughs> and that's where I'm coming from. Um, you know, it's, it, it has to do with the talks not actually having a purpose, right? Yes. Especially in the work environment. Exactly. They're usually very goal-driven. Yes, and monodimensional and not always, you know, as it, again, to your, yeah. that's so true, the, the kind of human experience is much more uh, spontaneous and biological and bacteria like and physiological and everything so it's always good it's sort of relaxing it's like a kind of a yoga without almost a mindful thing you know <laughs> or mindless <laughs> mindless thing but a he- healthy chit chat two old boys sitting on a park bench you know like the old days but um so good actually i was uh i'm standing up but i was just looking at a new there, there's d- quite a bit of development going on where I am right now, and I've noticed it in a very sort of strangely, strangely Finnish way. They have put a park bench with one seat on it, um, and it even has armrests on it to prevent two people sharing the seat. And then three, and then what looks like three meters away, there's another one. So they really have socially distanced these. Uh, shall we say mono chairs um in the otherwise a park bench environment and i think that's a bit sort of okay maybe it's a cultural thing but the, the joke also there are quite a few cliches about yeah the finnish idea of what the acceptable social distance would be normally exactly so with the covid and everything it's just really really funny and and not very I mean, otherwise, it's a beautiful landscaped place. It's spectacular, you know. It's really, they've done a really, really nice job. Big library, like an urban park. Everything is great. But my only question, Mark, is why you have these three three chairs, literally, one steel chair kind of drilled into the ground with armrests, which absolutely the message is this is for one person, like a throne, small throne. And then a couple of meters away, another one so socialize but don't get too close 
and it's sort of like it's almost the opposite of a Spanish or a, a traditional bench where you might sit down and have a chat with your friend. Here, you just sit down and, in effect, stare at the road <laughs> on this chair. Opportunities, not necessarily possibilities. If you want to chat with a friend, you can just stand up. And I found on this trip of mine that me being not very social, even having benches with many seats of plenty, that does not necessarily lead to random or meaningful connections or chats. So Correct. I'm absolutely on board with having three chairs in the park. If I find someone to chat with, um, I'll just continue walking. I imagine this is also very pleasurable. Absolutely, yeah. And well put and absolutely. And it might actually, with a twist of irony, prompt a conversation. Oh, hi, what are you doing over here? A parallel king or queen, you know, on a parallel throne. <laughs> you know, it might actually kind of provoke something. But it's it, it's interesting because it just looks from a, a design perspective, if you want to look like that. It looks like, you know, it makes you wonder, what's the brief? Okay, we want uh, really nice chairs for people to sit on, but, oh, God, not too close, please. Thanks. Oh, no, no, more space. More space between the chairs. But anyway, so things that I had very loosely in my mind that we can spitball on and free wheel on are things mm -hmm. like uh, travel, timeless ideas, uh history like your own history i'm always interested in people's background and my own or whatever we can you can ask me questions i don't mind and nothing in particular to ask and uh it, even ideas of like um things you might like not not necessarily a boring show and tell or anything but things that people don't realize about about you you know people or things people do realize about you um like uh and places you know pictures in your mind anything that might sort of uh accidentally come out is beautiful thing as well you know to get things get, to get the party started yes. um but you, you, you have to drive the party because yeah. every one of those topics is uh, exactly you so, still need a seed for the conversation exactly so here's the seed Here's an example. Um, and the more left to feel, the better at times. And of course, front and center, whatever rationally, literally comes to mind is fine. So like I, I would say at moments in my life or career or anything, you we try to grab and grasp an idea, shall we say, and then we share ideas. And some people call that sales and some people call that journalism or some people call that creativity or narrative or whatever else. And then um, I had a very interesting conversation last week for was was a 30 second conversation. But what I thought was really interesting about it was uh, one chap I spoke to who knows me quite well. He likes to think he's the world's best salesman, you know, and then um, he said his sales are not going really well for his next event. And I said, oh, why? You know, it should be really going really well. I said, give me the give me the stuff. I'll have a look. I'll help you sell it. You know, and I said that with lots of positive intention, but I think I triggered his ego because he said, no, you don't know about selling. And I said, oh, really? And I thought this is going to be really, really interesting. And he said, what is selling then? He said, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> and so I thought, OK, well, I'll leave you to that then. And so you you do understand. And that's why you're having trouble selling your event. I just thought I'll leave him with that. But I, what, I what intrigued me was inside myself. I thought, why would I find that interesting? Because I know I can sell if I see the idea and I grasp the idea. Then I can translate the idea. Might not do a very good job. I might not make somebody to commit to buying a vacuum cleaner or something. But maybe, maybe that's how sales work. You know, sales are all about, I hate that word sales. So in translation of ideas, um, what I was going to say is this guy made a judgment about me and my personality based on my effectiveness in translating ideas. So I thought, nah, well, he doesn't even know me. When I thought he kind of knew me a little bit, you know. And then I realized it's all ego. It's all ego in the end. It's all ego in the end.
a well not all ego but a lot of it is ego because it's our personal view in the world and trying to affect influence or change on somebody and all that sort of influence in the end everything we do is tainted by ego whether we want it or not but on the point of what is selling um that very much depends on the context especially yeah. when we talk about not actually just selling which is an act of trying to make another person your adversary yeah let's say commit to purchasing a service or a product but what's yeah. more ubiquitous in our world is the world marketing because yeah <laughs> you, 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 you see this from a perspective someone gives you well-formed idea and you're just trying to transform it into audiovisual signs what's more important in marketing these days is actually to have an idea how to sell a product when someone gives you a product as a bare description of a service and then you decide how to again use egos of other people use our layers and layers of let's call it indoctrination through our upbringing culture yeah country specifics to actually sell so to sell to sell the product yes uh, yeah the, the idea idea is actually a middle layer between the bare product and the fact of selling and that is maybe what the guy meant by saying you can't sell maybe the yeah. way you transform you, you you form those middle layers are not necessarily in line with his idea of how one should do it or maybe with his idea of how one should do it for this particular product like being an exactly. event for a particular set of people very good very true so travel where are you now you're in medellin not yet i'm going to medellin today in the evening but uh now i'm in Cartagena. Oh. oh, and uh, how is it? Is it good? It's, uh, well, it's definitely an interesting place to be, but after um, almost six months of traveling, yes, nigh on six months of traveling around in Central America, wow. uh, I'm really hard put to say whether the place is interesting or not. Yeah, every place is as as interesting as every place in Europe. It's just as partially as you said uh, about your park in Finland. It's uh, an interesting landscape, nice place to be, and that's also defined by what we already know and what surprises us. And yes. obviously, for me on this trip, especially in the beginning, pretty much everything was a new experience. Yes. I have been to those areas before, but I've never explored them. Like any depth and yeah. uh, everything from cultures, landscapes, food, language, everything was uh, pretty much a new experience. Uh, everything was exciting and interesting. By now, I kind of probably already started skipping over some of the audiovisual part of the perception. And then what I find interesting is how people live, how people see their lives, how people see their political yeah. situation life situation yeah and they're also every country here is very different in terms of history and in terms of culture in terms of people's beliefs um colombia is no exception it's this is true. actually completely new because it's, it's it's slightly detached from um the history of central america which is dominated by let's say half a century of us meddling in the affairs of countries for resources yeah nothing new here but um it's um yeah always a bit daunting to realize how much that shapes the potential um for countries development that's true and of course the key thing here is you you're in the middle of this transition uh journey throughout six months of south america and all these people so as you rightly say it's a little bit the how you view things yourself and i was about to ask you anyway what made you or how do you feel what was driving you to go there and what was the backdrop to 
this time out inverted commas <laughs> time out um, well the decision to have a sabbatical was um, just good timing and my previous job controllers I slid into more managerial positions gradually which was not my intention and uh, yeah I would have changed my area of engagement anyway and since changing an area of engagement usually means a fresh start I thought I could just as well take a break and uh, go through all of it uh, yeah and the choice of the region was just that I've already been here it was fairly open by COVID standards already and also more importantly I didn't want it to be like stressful travels I wanted to be relaxed and then me at least being comfortable or partially comfortable with the mentality of people here in language I thought that would be more suitable for my purposes than let's say Asia yeah that is kind of my reasoning yeah very good um and also, I mean, I assume you went there pretty much from London, right? Or a big city. So it's good to yeah. some first world <laughs> base. So, you know, th when you're the irony of those global cities, you know, to coin, to use the phrase, um, is they're connected to the farest corners of the planet and let you, they give you access to everywhere you want to go everywhere other including yourself in which sense do, do you mean that just the Heathrow Heathrow will get you next, very quickly oh, oh. to you know the, the airline network you just look at the map of London or the flights to London and you see all the roads leading to London actually lead back to wherever you want <laughs> you know or wherever you although want to, although to be fair if your total travel time is approaching a day or even more than a day then adding two hours of a connecting flight from anywhere in Europe to London would also not make much of a difference. So yeah. that's, uh, yeah. So, t so, so, uh, now I'm going to get a little bit more personal, right? If you don't mind. Um, Go for it. Yeah. Go for it. And it's not, it's not prying. It's just, it's just sort of like shooting the breeze. Um, things like mental health come up a lot in my, my own personal and I'm okay but I do think about people and what the world has been going through in different different parts of the world mm -hmm. so those are kind of sort of front and and back of mind things like topics and people surviving uh first world issues sometimes and you know real world issues and third world issues and I don't like those numbered worlds you know um but for lack of a better way of putting it and the other thing is, I'm very interested in, um, you know, in how you see this sort of homogenization, post-globalization, or the fallout from this post-globalized world landing. I mean, you're wise enough and experienced enough and traveled enough to be able to see that we're, we're now uh, at a stage in the evolution, not just politics, but the evolution of the technology and the societies we live in. Where are we going to end up now when we've got this post-globalized talk? Uh, a year ago, nobody knew what, or even a few months ago, a lot of people well, were I, thinking. I'm not really sure actually where you're headed with this or what you want to hear. So I'll just controversially ask, what do you yeah. call post-globalized? What, what, yeah. what is it post? Post what? Yes. Yeah. Well, in the, in the sort of, in the common narrative and a lot of the, I don't, we're, we're all paying less and less attention to mainstream media or some of us are uh, but the idea of we've globalization was for many years and even decades viewed as a sort of holy grail a globalized country was a successful country inverted commas again um, and now we're seeing that at some point this globalization has uh, has it em has it shown itself to be empty promises has it shown itself to be kind of the, the burning out of capitalism you know um, the globalised world isn't always good for the world you know uh, and I'm thinking I mean just spitballing with some of the ideas that go around that the, the world we live in now um, people have lost faith in the 
a lot of faith has been lost, shall we say, in the kind of continued growth patterns of companies and corporations and countries. Um, but we're actually thinking, nah, enough of that. That's not working. We're going to go local. COVID has taught us how to live locally. And we're all on, there's a lot of talk of the great reset. And we're all just sort of giving up on our ambitions to travel and globalize ourselves and global, be global heads of or, you know, that's sort of like a, it's a, sort of seems to be a time stamped, dated way of looking at the world when really something else is going on. And I wonder what your thoughts are on what else is going on. That's a complicated question. That's a complicated Again, full, full support into <laughs> either many small questions and also has too many assumptions behind it. That's the, it. Well, the globalization, as you use the term, was more of a, for, from my perspective, was just an era in ways of doing business. Yes. I mean, from the people's perspective, Actually, from everyone's perspective, we're just maximizing our utility value, right? Yes. For, for the, the, I think the bigger problem is utility value for a person, but the smaller problem is utility value for a business. And for business, it's just that globalization was the only way to progress in terms of market value, reach, capital power. Yes. Um, the globalization was only a an issue or a thing for companies that have already conquered local markets and needed more acquisition space. Yes. And local farmers, a local farmer who just tends to the cows and is not trying to conquer the neighboring countries and tend to their cows. He has yes. his hands full from some point when you are not tending to the cows, you're just reselling something or you're actually selling something that is produced at scale. It's only then that you're starting to feel about or think about um, doing transactional exchanges with people around the world rather than just in your area. So for companies, globalization was an era where that was the only way to grow. Now, I think in terms of uh, scaling, methodology scaling patterns mm -hmm. it, it's still a thing for uh world of it world of internet but there everything is global from the outset you're only limited by localization issues so uh, otherwise if you start with a localized product then you are global by design and with um, everything else they're just uh, I think an equilibrated market and uh, the globalization happens uh, hidden from humans as uh, small local companies being owned by larger firms that then just fight between themselves uh, a war that is then not seen by small consumers, which is why basically we only hear about Unilever, Procter & Gamble. Yeah. Right. In, in, in political context. So right. that's, uh, in this context, we are not in post-globalized world, it's just, or only in post-globalized in the sense that, you know, like in the theory of capital, we've went through the stage of redistribution, right? When the yeah. market was super undersaturated and then uh, whatever you could grab faster was yours. And, and now we're in a stage where you have to either take over create new market niches or yes. uh, disrupt as it's called. Oh yes. Um, so in this sense we are in the post globalization or like post scaling stage. So that's uh, yes. that, that, that's one thing. The more important thing is that probably what you were more talking about is the utility value of something of globalization for a particular human being. Yeah. For on the scale of consumption, like in the context of consumption, um, yeah, the, your consumption powers very much <laughs> depend on which level of uh, slow pyramid you are. If you are still fulfilling your needs for safety and for survival, then yes.
for, for, for product. Uh, for the developed world, as you say, it, it's just that uh, also for, uh, I mean, there are agents that are really concerned for something they believe in, like, um, you know, global warming or, um, yeah. Well, like sustainability in the sense, in scientific sense, that we are doing something that we shall not be able to reverse. Uh, and they are fighting a battle against the ingrained ideas from the stage of survival that cheaper is better. They are kind of trying to sell the, the point that everyone should be concerned with our future. Yes. They are fighting one battle. And then there is also. And of course, uh, and a, a battle for uh, fought by companies for dominion on the market, and they tap into this resource as well to sell their products. You know where we arrive at greenwashing and everything. So this is a completely different topic that is also worth uh, interesting. Yeah, months of conversation. So when you just say, "What do I think about?" living in a post-globalized world, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Because talking about that, different Yeah. It brings us to kind of, uh, we're here and now when we're all, we're sort of exposed to more, uh, I really hate the word global sometimes, but we're more and more collectively exposed to global concerns or global ideas uh with all of you know with all of those backdrops that you describe um i was going to ask you about the disruption piece there's some great things you said there about utility our own personal utility is really important based on our need for survival our need for uh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean i mean uh, more explicitly cast everything into terms of utility but uh for a survival stage just acquiring as much resource as possible at as low price as possible to yourself yeah is the ultimate utility it did maximize your transfer as well but in our age when you are uh, already at the stage of maybe not self-actualization but you know acceptance and intrinsic self-worth uh you know it, it, it's really hard to yeah. find sources of self-worth these days and god yeah what's self-worth uh, you... what would you say you know self-worth is actually really interesting too because that could be a kernel for all of these mental health existential ideas uh that we it's almost like th some of the big topics in our unhappy largely unhappy sort of it seems to be that way when you look at the mirrors of media but the largely unhappy world, uh, uh, a lot of people seem to lack sense of self-worth. You know, we see mental health issues. Uh, to, to be completely controversial, I think that is a completely artificial construct. It yeah. might be necessary for us, but it's uh, yeah. not, not something that actually exists in the right. real world. It's not even so... controversial, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that in the sense that I think most people are largely okay with them, with everything. But what happens is the minute we extrapolate, and that's all it is, it's sort of like data statistical extrapolation. We're going to hear and find what we want to look for, you know, and uh, I can say nine out of ten cats are deeply unhappy if I really want to in a proverbial PR piece of research. Um, so I think people are on a human level. All of our evolutionary kind of um, cohorts have brought us to a place where we're doing kind of largely okay we're pretty much okay but when we mirror our society and i say mirror because it might not be society our world is we're looking in mirrors all the time and holograms of ourselves if you want to look like that in avatars we might be saying uh um to agree with you that the to see your point that the um the you know if we pay too much attention to the media we're going to get depressed because all we're going to hear about is like depressing things to be depressed about <laughs> when largely I'm pretty OK until until I look at the media to connect it. And uh, and that sort of makes me think about the role of the media. You know, I mean, I'm passionate about I have been passionate about the media 
Um, but I, I'm, I'm not sure which way it's going to go now. I don't even know if there is a media anymore. When we think of phrases like social media and those kind of convolutions of, uh, you know, greedy data company kind of thing based on emotional reaction, then I'm thinking social. It's not really social. It think it makes us think it's social, but it's not. And then it's not media because media should be somewhat defined a bit better. <laughs> it's a sort of a abomination. It's like a Frankenstein of human emotion designed to attract love from everybody and run away. <laughs> you know. Yeah, again, this is just that we are still using the conventional terms for yeah something that used to be well defined. in media is. Merriam-Webster, then some of the first terms would be an object used as a substrate for something, and yeah. or you know that comes from Latin medium, yeah. which is in a sense matter when like before we used to use paper to print words on. So yes, media was uh, a lot of paper with lots of words on it. What you use the words for is yeah a different topic amazing and so um, now it's 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 uh just it's all digital so you have some abstracts yeah what age are, were are you in Google storage. absolutely what age were you were you uh like this is a little bit of a personal question what age were you can you kind of remember your first digital uh engagements whether it was a web page or sending an email or anything like that roughly what age would you have been uh, oh pretty early i well, i was born 85 and um back then there's like little exporters for computers in, in russia it was more of a privilege but my uh, dad worked at the um as an engineer at the research center okay. and at work, they did have computers, and uh, I would just visit him at work on the weekend and uh, mostly play games or do the programming. Yeah. Back then, GW Basic, okay. uh, 286 machines. Um, um, but in terms, there, there was some, well, back then, internet was uh, mostly either dial up billboards. Yeah. Yes. Um, we had one in, in, in our city, but uh, I was not nerdy enough back then to use it. It did try out, but that's not a thing for me. So for me, for the longest time, it's just about games or programming. Yeah. And then at some point, it became ubiquitous, and um, yeah, I think my first interaction would have been an ICQ. Actually, before before the internet age, we would exchange games or programs on floppy disks uh, but internet wise at uh, at the uni we had a local area network well back then internet was already pretty ubiquitous but so yes most of the interaction happened in local area network that would be you know, either gaming or <laughs> storing pirated context yes uh, content sorry yeah and that was mostly my interaction with um with digital and media yeah, <laughs> digital and media. And were you uh, like, like, did you have, you know, you hear these, you know, you, a lot of people are really, really switched on, turned on, romanticized about the the possibilities. Or were you really pragmatic kind of in your approaching of programming? Were you just saying, I want the next game? That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're behaving like a kind of, well, you probably were quite, Digital native, to put it like that. <laughs> Digital native. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate it. It's just one of these. Again, you're so right when you say it's the the terms we use. But I'm laughing because the corporates would talk about. Uh, you have these um digital migrants, which are people supposed to be kind of over a certain age who's who weren't born into the internet, <laughs> and then you have a a digital native, a kid who will be just exposed to the internet uh, since the get-go. Um, so they don't differentiate. Yeah. yeah. I think it's an it's always more about 
about um, the ability to use or the readiness also to use this technology for something, maybe something even that is not necessarily a prerequisite to survival. Yeah. So uh, for your, our generation would probably still see uh, the value that digital brings us as in transmit information, send a message. Yeah. Which something which was previously used phone for or letter, the internet just facilitated the, the same means of exchange of information. For yeah. digital natives, it's just that the set of values has changed. You just use this as you, you, you would not send selfies in letters to 10 million people back in the day. So yeah. our way of interacting with the world changed. Yes. Call that digital native. Different set of values, different set of tools. That's true. That's very true. Actually, I saw a clip and it stayed with me. Uh, Jim Carrey, the comedian, he was talking about mm -hmm. how he no longer feels the need to um, maybe impress people or he realizes he's got a purpose and that's just to be to bring some positivity to people. And uh, he said he much preferred to stop and ask people how's their day going than to take a <laughs> selfie with them <laughs> because that's just feeding a distant server somewhere and they're forsaking the chance to interact and make each other's day better. Nobody's really happy for it. And he's he's sort of like singles out the selfie as a sort of a modern, you know, it's come out of nowhere in the last, I think Barack Obama was the first selfie I'd heard of, you know, um, and, and now it's everyone's taking selfies all the time without talking uh, or sharing at all really but I wanted to ask you about London right how long did you or do you plan to go back to maybe that's another question but how how did you find your time so far in London tell me about London London was mostly COVID time for me I arrived in 2020 January Jeez. first few months were I disappeared at work and then when I might have been prepared to resurface from work, I saw already COVID, so there was no reason to, to resurface. So, oh, um, yeah. Probably my experience of London is not necessarily what would have been any other year. Uh, I, I generally, maybe it's like self-invented belief, but uh, I would say that I'm comfortable in London. I yeah. find the nature, whether organically fitting my tastes. Yes. Nice. Um, and what do you think of the phrase he who tires of London tires of life? <laughs> that, that, that's a fair point. Uh, in terms of uh, opportunities for whatever you do in life, London is amazing. It's just that I've never been using them actively or yeah. purposefully. It was sort of put on under wraps wasn't it and what like i won't go i won't ask you about what you think of the pandemic stuff but i was going to ask you about the did you get to go on the new multi-billion pound train line that goes all the way through central london not yet not yet what? uh what? It, it just it's it, it's still reopening first but they're still reopening when, when i was leaving london and in january the Elizabeth line would end and like you would just have the branch from Heathrow, I would use that. But yeah. then it, it would not go through central London yet, then the Canary Wharf, which would have like, made a lot of sense for me. I was living, Canary Wharf was the closest station to where I live, um, was still under construction. I was running past the closed entrance to the underground every morning, but wow. I never got to actually reap the benefits. Yeah. Yeah, it may not actually be open yet, for all I know. I know it's always being talked yeah. about being open. You can already take, so not all the way, and then continuation of the line to the other direction. is also only partially open, but um, I think Henry work is uh, now operational. Okay, that's great. I'm looking forward to going there at some stage, you know, just for having lived in London myself and cycled all the time and buses were great as well and the met the tube is cool but i just you know i enjoyed those heavy engineering 
triumphs. <laughs> do, you, do you think you would notice anything? It's no, no different than the rest of the tube, is it? Uh, well, it's a special new line, so I presume they'll have new trains and new, you know, new station designs. It's, you know, maybe for for a bit, maybe, but just for a while. But they're not sort. They're not following the traditional. They're. It's meant to be. You know, it's been heralded as a special project, so let's see, let's see. And it's named after the Queen, I think they're calling it, I can't remember the name of it. Um, But, you know, it's supposed to be a bit a bit more special, but let's see. <laughs> after all, after yes. all most, okay. most of Britain is a bit special, isn't it? <laughs> and a bit great. And, uh, the speciality is in, that, being, in your mind, so... Or, yeah, I'm being cheeky. For the Brits, obviously, Britain is special. <laughs> yeah, being For cheeky. the English, London is... Oh, I actually don't know whether English are more likely to feel strongly about London or positively than Brits in general. Yeah, that's right. There's a few t-shirt memes going around London as a country. You know, a lot of people really, exactly. really believe exactly. that. It was probably the same everywhere, but... Yeah. Yeah. Very dominant capitals. Moscow is definitely a different country. Oh, I can imagine, yeah. What's the population of Moscow? Is it over 20 million? I, I think it, it, it costs it definitely over, if you count all the uh, residential uh, metropolitan area, but it keeps consuming its surroundings, so it's, it's growing by acquisition. Wow. Um, and your city originally was from the north, it's, uh, was it? Yeah, it's a hundred kilometers north, north, yeah, far north, far north of the Moscow region. Hundred yeah. kilometers from Moscow. I don't know, yeah. north of Moscow. Sorry, north of Moscow. I think I yeah, remember. Just, just, just hundred kilometers. Um, okay. um, no, that's pretty small. So I think seventy thousand inhabitants. Yeah. Like back then, now probably slightly more. Yeah. Do you miss it? I don't necessarily miss places. I don't think that we actually miss places. We miss our ways of life. Yeah. Uh, for me, that would involve people I lived with or interacted with. Yeah. Um, but even there, I wouldn't say that I miss anything. Missing is too much of an unconscious or subconscious, but an active effort for me. You need to think about stuff. You miss it. I just don't think about stuff. Yeah. So I don't miss it. Where would be the place you enjoyed living the most? Would London? They always say you missed the the last place you lived the most when you moved to a new place. Sure, because we have, you know, because we have, because have, our memories are most vivid. Yes. About re recent experiences, um, my memory is also becoming terrible, so I just don't remember all the things. But then again, we're also distilling positive memories in a sense. So I think. Yeah extremely fondly about my time in Trieste and also about my time in Germany so yes I would not say that I miss one of them more than the other that's a great that's very true that's very valid for sure everywhere has its charms and you're lucky if you could also because I had very very, diff very different styles of life ways of life in those, in those places yes did you learn Italian when you were in Trieste uh, not to the level that I should have I could communicate a bit, yeah. but uh, not not great. And then when I started learning Spanish, my brain completely overwritten one romantic language with the other. So now I would understand Italian, but I struggle a lot to yeah. compile a sentence. Of course, because you were obviously not working in you in in Italian at the time. No, yeah, no, that's pure purely English. Yes, yeah. Do you have a any uh, affectionate relationship to food, <laughs> like Italians and spaghetti and pizzas and things? Although they have their own. That is that is absolutely a pigment of uh, and and yeah. European and global marketing. They're not passionate yeah. about food. So there's no passion. They're just particular about what they eat and how well it should be prepared. Yeah, so they're more demanding about it, but then also, and, and I think coffee is the penultimate example of uh, how an idea might be used for marketing, but 
yeah not necessarily be true like italians are not passionate about coffee coffee is just like, like water you drink water every day and you want your water to be clean and not taste like shit <laughs> that's how italians see coffee yeah and in italian would also not pay five pounds for coffee no no you no you get it for 70 cents in espresso in a bar yes uh, so uh, maybe as it yeah same be. about food <gasps> yeah Interesting. Do you think we mentioned marketing and European marketing? Do you think marketing is a sort of a, I know you'll have a good, I know you, I can already hear your voice, but I'll ask you anyway. Do you think the future of marketing is going to, it's going to break up and reassemble itself in something else? Or do you think we'll have more and more of this kind of uh, assimilation of cultural uh, assets and commoditization of the ideas they represent? Or do you think we're going to just go into data and become commodity buyers or just whatever, whatever else? No, no, no. I, unless you allow an, a machine to handle your purchases, we'll always be creatures of impulsiveness. And as such, the marketing will always be about evoking emotions of a certain yes. sort and then and, and using actually everything we've talked about before like or strive for self-actualization yeah so no i don't think data is getting us anywhere i mean data can be used to see which tricks work best to leverage the weakness of human mind that's where data is good yes Yes. You can find an optimal way to fool people into doing something. <laughs> but then again, no, but, um, I mean, I, 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 I don't mean that with, uh, with any sort of reproach. I, I do genuinely believe that. I agree with you. I'm not laughing. Every, everything is valid. Because, I mean, for you, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's actually an interesting conversation in itself because um, w when someone tells you that marketing has managed to sell stuff to people that they don't actually need and my first question would be like what do people need if the current need for a person is to feel happy in life and achieve self-actualization then actually maybe buying a new iphone is the easiest way to achieve that so marketing yeah. has actually provided value to, to a person genuinely yeah. So whether it's whether it's good for for the world in general, whether there is a, a sustainable way of evolving a society, I wouldn't pretend to have an opinion on, on that. Um, yeah. I, for myself, have found a way to be happy outside of the context of consumption, but it has cost me a lot, and I don't think that it was necessarily worth it. So yeah. I would not expect everyone to go the same way. And yeah. um, with this in mind, marketing is an essential necessity in the world. It, it, it creates happiness for people. So, yeah, why not? Absolutely, that's that's. And yes, and I and I, I, I do believe that data gives you insights into what currently makes people happy. Uh, indirect observational insights, but um, it. In, in all of my experience, be it Ubico and Revolut or anything else in terms of marketing, I think data only gets you the last 20% of the way. The yeah. first 80 are understanding human nature and just observing current trends. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It gets you a, a kind of a, a look at things, but it doesn't tell you everything. No. No. Yeah. And uh, so um, I was going to ask you as well, because uh, I don't want to take up more of your time, but I really enjoy talking to you too much more of your time. <laughs> so uh, this this is just uh, the first in 200 episode private chat between Oleg and Hubert. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, what makes you happy and what makes you sad? Is it, like little things, not big things. Is there any little thing? Do you have any bugbears? Do you know what a bugbear is? It's, it's a very complicated question. Uh, like I'm here's an example for me. I hate, I, I no, find I, no. 
Yeah, go on. The, 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 the point is that somehow over time, I um, so you know I, I was always uh, my my usual answer to how are you is always good. So true. Part of this being my way of life and not just a fancy phrase is that I somehow have learned to not allow my emotional state to oscillate too much. This involves not either knowingly or unknowingly not allowing things, not allowing your brain to process everything with system one, but actually consciously thinking about things. But um, so this um, prevents me from having deep dives in my well-being or my perception of the world. But it also somehow means that I don't have um, extreme heights. Small things do not excite me to a to, to yeah. any extreme. So I'm, I'm what's probably what would be called low key most of the time. Solid. So na- nature, definitely nature, forces of nature, um, and the capacity of nature for efficient and impressive design. Yes, is something that always, always touches me. So that I can say for sure. But outside of that, nothing makes me really sad. Yeah, I, I, there are things that I wish I. That's good. Could have known the answer to that does make me sad. Then otherwise, yeah, it's, it's not a permanent state of mind or anything. I mean, okay. luckily, I hope it's not a permanent state of mind. For, of course, for, for everyone, but for me yeah. specifically, yes. Yeah, and then is there anything you cannot live without? Some people. Maybe Italians cannot live without the cappuccino, or maybe they can, or clean water, or you're... I think everyone, everyone can live without anything, and not sexual. Yeah. Is, have you got any creature comforts? Do you know what a creature comfort is? I think on this trip I also realized I don't care enough to really something or want something um, I'm just happy whatever comes my way lovely so no lovely very good I was going to joke passport <laughs> when you're traveling we have a very we, we we grow a little bit fonder of our passport because we're always happy when we find it in the bag you know well I mean we always happy when we find the right type of passport in our bag and this is it I would not not deny that a German passport in a bag, especially these days, is much better than having a Russian passport in a bag. Yeah, well, it's a bit, it is a, yeah, it is, I, I feel a bit sad to hear that in a way, because I feel for, you know, it's a whole other thing, maybe for another chat, but I feel, uh, we know that regimes are one story and people, ordinary people of the world are another story. And then the passport is an icon which sort of embodies so much, you know. <laughs> we could talk for months about passports. But um, and national, national identities and what is a country, what is a passport, I really think I'd love to hear your view on that because you have a great view on these things. But I was going to also say to you, um, just kind of, I, I want to respect your time because I know you were on holiday as well. Are on holiday. Um, I wanted to ask you if, and this is something to think about, right? And we can do this by voicemail or we can do it now as you wish. You probably have a semi or fully formed response. So the question would be, what would you like, what would your message be to the people who know and love you? That's food for thought. Food for thought. I mean, you, you should know me well enough to know that I would <laughs> never presumed to have a universal message to every message to every yeah. single person would be different so that's in, in so far as sending a message should have yeah. a value a message should have a value there is barely any message in the world that universally has a value to everyone 
if that is most people already know the message there's no point sending that's really uh, true. no no i mean fair, no I, there is always a value in you personally sending the same message just because um the action of sending is in itself a value and the action of sending will be different for every person but yeah. um, that's indeed a topic for a different conversation absolutely absolutely and uh i miss you <laughs> i think you're great and i love it uh, uh, very friendly. <laughs> Back to the days of Ubico for many reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Is one of them. That's really great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've loads and loads of questions, but I'm trying to be more efficient with my time, so I will um, send you a big virtual hug from here in the very tip of this part of the map it's not the tip of the world isn't it as you'll point out to me in a second <laughs> i'm becoming oleg i love it and there's no end of the world so that's that. right if we it, as the song says even a stopped clock tells the right time twice a day so so we're if you go if you go south enough long enough you'll come back up at the north eventually right maybe maybe passing you might come and jump on my back but um i i really uh really enjoy talking today now so far this is a really nice likewise really likewise. Uh, it's really enriching in ways that i can't fully grasp for myself it's just lovely to sit down to talk to you and uh that's that's really meaningful to me you know and i i hope i hope you uh, <laughs> enjoyed it a little bit too i'll send Very you so. yes. i'll send this over to you but um hopefully we'll chat soon and send a few pictures I shall. okay um, yeah who knows we might even chat in person at some point i look forward to it <laughs> you're always welcome cool. wherever i am so that currently is in helsinki and you know that's open invitation so feel free thank you very much yeah i hope i shall be able to take it up yep to be continued amigo yeah it's beautiful hot day it's 26 degrees what uh what will you do with the day um work a bit um then take a stroll and take an evening bus to Medellin. Lovely. Is it very far, about 400 hours or just 200 hours? <laughs> it's not too far, but it's, uh, I think the bus lives at 8 in the evening and actually arrives in the morning at also at 8, so 12 hours in the bus. Okay. But this this uh, this trip sabbatical of mine is, as much as possible, no flights, or so far completely no flights except flight to Central America. So. Yeah. That's really? why the trip here was also on a boat. That's so good because it's really, literally earthy. It's really tactile. You're having an association to the the changing world beneath your feet or the splashing yes, waters. Exactly. That's the way to go. Otherwise, we're just being postcarded about the place, and you don't have any grip. So that's lovely. Really happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, love the love the idea. Travel well, my friend. Yes. I and shall attempt to do so and uh, hope to see you in will. person sometime let's, soon. Yeah, let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Okay. God bless. Take care. God bless in the earthy pagan, you know, uh, you know, proper sense. <laughs> yes. Take care, Oleg. Ciao. Bye. Adios. So there you go folks, that was a really nice chat. <laughs> uh, apologies for the poor quality of the audio connection, but um, if you enjoyed that, let us know what you thought. As we say, we're not selling anything, we're telling everything, and this the serendipity that exists in those little cracks that allows us to sort of connect and expand the mind. So there you go, that was Oleg, he's the top man. Hopefully we talk to him again soon. In the meantime, Take care.